Welcome to the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I'm Deborah Herlax Enos, a small town girl turned TV nutritionist and healthy living expert. I design health programs for the average guy or gal, including those average guys named Metallica. On September 1st, 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I asked every oncologist the same question, why did I get cancer? But none of my doctors had good answers for me. I wanted answers and that's why I started this podcast. I wanna help you to lower your cancer risk and provide self-care tips for those in the battle. I'm getting answers and I wanna share them with you. I had such an interesting takeaway with my guest today, the founder of ButcherBox, Mike Salguero. We had a conversation about why did he start this company, a home delivery service of meat, which, you know, might be kind of a, you know, random, interesting business. Basically, his wife was ill. They wanted to put her on an anti-inflammatory diet that included grass-fed beef, and he couldn't find any. So he ended up finding a farmer who was willing to sell him a cow. He met the guy in the parking lot and bought this cow and he had so much that they couldn't even store it. They couldn't get through it in a year. So Mike ended up selling it to some of his friends. His friends said, dude, this is amazing. Can you just figure out how to start a business where you sell us this really high quality meat? And that's how ButcherBox was born. Give today's episode a listen to find out why grass-fed beef can be so good for your body. Mike and I also talked about the importance of high-quality protein, and then if you're eating really good protein, it can almost end up being a side dish. You gotta listen to today's episode to find out more. Well, good morning, Mike Salguero, founder of Butcher Box, sponsor of my podcast. I look forward to that box every month. So excited to be here. Great to meet you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a former farmer and I care about where my food comes from. So when I first heard about Butcher Box, I was uh, very intrigued. Yeah. So we started the business in 2015 and mm-hmm. um, was solving a similar problem. Uh, my wife and I, my wife has a thyroid condition, an autoimmune disease, and um, we were cleaning up our diet and looking at different elimination diets and different ways to kind of eat more um, healthy. Right. Uh, and pretty much every diet that we we followed said, eat grass-fed beef. And um, we couldn't find a good resource for it. And one thing led to another. And I ended up starting ButcherBox to solve that problem. And then as I got more into meat, I realized that the same thing that led me to grass-fed beef, where I wanted an animal that wasn't fed antibiotics and hormones and was treated with dignity and respect and regenerated the environment, that was true across all species, that it was really hard to find pork or chicken or seafood or any or bison or lamb or any of the other um, species. It just was really hard to find product where the customer cared about the same things I cared about. How the animal was treated and the health of the animal and how the environment was treated and where they where they grew up. And um, so we started a company to solve that problem. And those are the questions that I'm concerned about as well as a former farmer. You know, one thing we always knew is you don't name your animals <laughs> because they were eventually going to end up on your plate. But I think one of the things I'm most intrigued about is your why because necessity is the mother of invention. So it sounds like you were just you and your wife were just kind of at a dead end to find her a healing diet. 
Yeah, yeah. We um we lived in downtown Boston. Um, so we're not talking about like we lived in kind of the middle of nowhere. Right. And we lived in downtown Boston. There was a grocery store in downtown Boston. That grocery store had grass-fed ground beef, but that was it. And mm-hmm. I'm, uh, uh, you know, I like food. I like to cook. Um, and so I wanted more variety. I wanted ribeyes. I wanted short ribs. I wanted chuck roast. I wanted to like play around with grass-fed beef. And I couldn't figure out how to do that. And so I ended up purchasing from a farmer. Uh, we met in a parking lot, which is actually technically illegal, uh, and bought a, I bought a half a cow off of him. And then ended up, that was too much meat for me. Um, so I ended up selling it to my friends. And that was the kind of the impetus. One of my friends was like, this would be so much easier if it was delivered to my house. I was like, hmm. Yeah, I was like, okay, I could probably try to do that. Yeah, one thing led to another. And, um, you know, we've never strayed from that original purpose of um, we, we have a mission of transforming meat, which means respecting the animal, the farmer, the environment, the workers in the supply chain, and ultimately providing a better product for the customer. But that mission is in service of our customer, in service of a purpose. And the purpose, the why behind what we do is we want to help people eat better. Because the diet in this country, which I know you you talk a lot about, the the diet in this country is making people sick. Uh, and there's <laughs> there's much better solutions out there, and there's much better food out there for people. And oftentimes that food is um, inaccessible. Whether that's you want to eat this way, but you go to your local grocery store and they don't have this type of meat. Or you want to eat this way and you, you can't prioritize it because you have other bills to pay. Uh, and both of which I believe is solvable if you have an eye towards scale and efficiency and have an eye towards you know skipping the grocery store and, and delivering directly to consumers across this country. Right. And then, of course, <laughs> you know the American farmer makes less than $50,000 a year on average yes. for small small family farms. And so then you're also giving an opportunity to them to really make a living wage and support their families. That's right. Um, farms in this country are, are closing at all-time mm-hmm. highs right, right now, which people don't really know a lot about. You know, it's interesting. People don't really know much about the source of their food. That's so true. I rail on, please support your farmers. Go to your farmer's market every weekend, rain or shine. I live in Seattle. It rains nine months a year here. And I go every weekend, even if I don't want to go, because I know what it's like to be a farmer. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's really across species. So uh, one of the things I love about my job is I get to like really go super deep into the rabbit hole of each species. So I I could talk to you for an hour straight about salmon and like all the things that are happening in salmon and what, what are the challenges and whatnot, or pork or chicken or beef. And I just love that ability to go and, and build authentic relationships with the providers uh, and really understand it. And there always are trade-offs. It's never as easy as it might seem. And so what we're trying to do is balance the trade-offs and provide the best possible quality to our customer to help them eat better. And in the meantime, trying to move the industry towards something that's more sustainable. Because meat in the aggregate right now 
is not a sustainable thing. And it's the, the animals are suffering, the environment is suffering, the customer is getting an inferior product. And there's a, there's a lot more that can be done. And we're hoping to use this company and this platform to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about animal husbandry, which is basically you know how the animal is treated beginning to end. And I've read some articles and talked to some ranchers that when the animal is harvested, we'll use that kind of languaging, um, and it's in a really high stress situation, the animal emits a lot of cortisol and stress hormones, which can actually change the texture of the meat. So people don't even maybe notice because they're just used to eating that commercial farm lot animal. Yeah. So the pH balance can change in the mm-hmm. uh, animal uh, if it is stressed. And so what you want to do is find an environment. You know, ultimately, uh, eating meat requires the death of the animal, right? So no matter what, uh, right. this animal that you're, you're eating is going to have been killed. Uh, that's a sad reality of eating meat. And so what you want to do is make sure that you're working with facilities that are doing that in the most humane way possible and really thinking through all the different steps of keeping that the, during the harvest process, keeping the animal as calm as possible because it does have a huge impact on the meat. Uh, the pH balance can change, uh, which can affect flavor. Mm-hmm. And then obviously there's kind of the ethical side of like if the animal is going to be put to death, Let's at least make it as calm as possible. Uh, I, I don't know. Have you ever heard of Temple Grandin? I don't know if you've heard of that woman. Yes, 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 I have. Yeah, super mm-hmm. fascinating. She's um, autistic and an empath. And uh, a lot of plants in this country bring her into the plant. And she like walks on all fours as if she is a cow. And is like, oh, that flag right there is is flapping in the breeze, and that's really distracting me. And they're like, okay, take down the flag, or like, I can see the person over there, and that's distracting me. And and they they basically have her go through um, to uh, have the best possible uh, experience. And, and and people care about that stuff at certain places. Um, yeah, that's a key point, Mike. At certain places, people care about those things, but I think people probably think, "Well, sure, that sounds great, but it's going to be incredibly expensive." And you know what? The bottom line is, it's actually not. <laughs> it can be. It, it, it can be if you are dealing in a system that's less efficient. But um, if you, what I like to say is that most of uh, meat in this country, like it all, kind of starts out the same. It, it starts out in a similar fashion. You're just diverting that meat towards being raised differently. You have to build this. I I think a lot of people's approach in the past uh, to grass-fed beef, let's say, is either one, use a dairy cow, which has a completely different flavor. And then people are like, I don't like grass-fed beef. I tried it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. Right. It's gamey or whatever. It's gamey. They want to say. It's yeah. tough. It's, mm-hmm. um, and it's like, well, that, that was a dairy cow. That wasn't like mm-hmm. something that was raised for me. So that's like one option. Uh, or, or one way that people kind of go. And then the second is... The, so basically, cows all start out the same. Uh, first 18 months, cows all start out the same. But then 98% of them go to a feedlot. Only 2% stay on grass. And so what we're trying to do is make commitments to farmers to uh, keep the animal eating grass. Because it, it's been... It, first six months, it's cow-calf. So it's a cow and its mother. The next year, is just out eating grass. And so there's this real opportunity to just say, like, just keep it eating grass, which seems super simple, but the whole system is built for feedlots. It really so, is. Um, yeah. 
whether it's the loans that you're getting to raise the animals, there's just a lot of kind of like feedlot influence on the industry. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to talk about a little bit about grass versus corn because I think about um, going out and buying a steak. And it's been a few years since I've seen this on menus, but they, you know, high end steakhouses used to proudly proclaim corn fed, <laughs> corn fed yeah, right. ribeye, which I mean, I love, I love a good ribeye. And now I don't see that on menus as much anymore. Can you tell us the difference between corn fed? Sure. So a cow is a ruminant. Um, so they are uh, made to graze and to uh, eat uh, grass. And so the cow's stomach, the cow, like just basically everything about the cow is is made to uh, be out in a field eating grass. What has happened in this country for a whole host of reasons, including that land is expensive and grass is not as plentiful, um, a solution has been to uh, grow corn on an acre of land or many acres of land uh, and then bring that to um, a feeding operation where the cows go and eat corn and grain and put on weight in that last six months. And, you know, it's not a good diet for the cow. It's not what the cow was built for. It also tends to be done in these confined feeding operations because it's much more efficient. So there, there are some cows that are like fed corn out in a field, which I think is, is much better. But for the most part, it's a very confined feeding operation. No more grass. It's just mud. Mm-hmm. Tractor just, just brings um, corn down a line and just sprays it into troughs and the cows are just eating corn uh, and grain all day long. And all of that has to do with the grading system. So if you think about the grading in this country, it's this grading of choice prime select. That's how we think about, that's how we think about the quality of steak. What that means in, in actual terms is when you cut the animal in half and you look at the ribeye, the ribeye is it's how much marble is on that ribeye. <laughs> so it's That's the fat. It. And so the mm-hmm. fat marbling of the ribeye. And so if you are trying to get the highest qual- quote unquote quality uh, as defined by Choice Prime Select, you want to get the animal as fat as possible, as quickly as possible, which mm-hmm. incentivizes you to use grains. And cows are very yeah. much like humans. If you just like live on a whole bunch of corn and candy, you know, Choice Prime Select. One one of the challenges of 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 doing grass fed beef in the United States is that like that is the ranking system that still exists for grass fed beef that you're pulling mm-hmm. out. Choice Prime Select, and it's like, well, that's not really like the only determinant of quality. Is like how fat did we get yeah. the animal, right? Even mm-hmm. it. W- so if you then move to a grass fed system where the animal is eating grass, it's very hard to hit the same choice prime select as it is in a feedlot. Um, and so um, mm-hmm. I, I think like this is where I, I, I talk about like the United States as, as it relates to grass-fed beef is going to require a tremendous amount of disruption in order to have grass-fed beef be like the standard. Um, You're right. So much disruption. Yeah. So much disruption. Uh, and we do some of that now. And we are, I guess, unapologetic about this. Uh, we also source from Australia because the system is much more robust. And that's just the sad reality of uh, you know where we're at. Um, I would love to be fully domestic, but we, we, 
we don't, there aren't enough good programs out there for us to be fully domestic. Hmm. Okay. Um, are programs like that possible in the US to be like the Australian model? It, it, it's going to need to be different. So mm-hmm. when you go to Australia and you go to a grass fed operation, there's so much land in Australia. It's literally like hop in the Jeep, we're going to go find the cows. Mm-hmm. And they don't know where the cows are. And many of these cows, they haven't even seen them in two years. Oh, that's cool. Like they literally, they have an RFID tag on them so they don't lose them. But they have such a large ranch, which they call station, that like the cows are just kind of like out living their life and eating grass. Which is what I believe is like (laughs) what people want. That's cool, Mike. Yeah. It's what we used to have. It's what cows were were made for. Right. It's, you know, um, it's kind of like the bison, the great bison of the, of the plains. Like it is, uh, it is a truly a ruminant hanging out and eating grass. In this country, that doesn't really exist. Now, it could if the federal government would let us use BLM land. It could if large ranches, you know, had the proper like incentives to do grass fed. It's, it's possible, but it really is going to like, take a lifetime. My whole thing is like, I, I started this business eight years ago. Uh, it, it took off and it grew way faster than we ever expected. Um, I, I never expected to be running a business this big. And now that I am, you know, people are like, oh, you should sell. And I'm like, well, maybe. But I mean, I, I also, I kind of feel like this might be my life's work. Like, changing the meat system in this country, which is in desperate need of changes. <laughs> Which is desperate for... Right, right. We both said desperate desperate at the same time. Right. So you haven't really finished being a disruptor yet. No, I think we're just getting started. I think you are too. And so if we just compared as a nutritionist, I know that grass is one of the healthiest foods on the planet. As a nutritionist, I also know that genetically modified corn, which is basically the only corn we have in the US, is one of the worst foods on the planet. So you got a cow over here eating corn. You got a cow in Australia eating grass-fed and a few cows, of course, in, in the U.S., mainly in California, correct? Uh, California's big, although they've gone through a drought. That's so true. Uh, the South is big as okay. well. Uh, Missouri, Florida. Um, right. Yeah. And, 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 but like most of the, you know, most of the cows kind of pre-feed lot are actually coming from South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, um, you know, that area of the world. But the meat will be different. The meat will have a different nutrient profile in the cow, depending on what it's fed, just like we have a different nutrient profile. So why are 50% latest research, Doctor, according to one of my podcast guests, Dr. Lee Aaron Keneally, one out of two people are going to end up with cancer in our country. What? I mean, that those, those are horrible numbers. So what can we do if the thing we do every day, three to four times a day is eating? What if we change some elements of that? Could we be healthier? I mean, yes, I, I certainly believe so. Yes, I certainly believe so too. And, um, you know, I don't think eating so much corn... Which if you think about it, corn, high fructose corn syrup, which is in everything from hamburger buns that, you know, you name it, fast food to the, you know, Coke you're drinking and this and that and the other thing. 
We're eating a lot of corn. For sure. Or animals that are also eating corn. Exactly right. Yes. Exactly right. Yeah, because it's cheap. Right. It's a cheap source of uh, carbohydrates. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So um, going back to your your why, how's your wife doing today? She's really good. So um, the elimination diets that she went on. So an elimination diet is where you eliminate a whole bunch of foods. So things that might inflame the body. And then you add them back in and you see how your body reacts. Um, And so when she added dairy back in, so she eliminated all of these for you know 60 days and then you add something in and then you rest for a few days and then you add something else back in. When she added dairy back in, um, her tongue... Like swelled, swelled up. Uh, When she added gluten back in, she got a rash all over her body, and so she stopped eating gluten and dairy. So now she's gluten and dairy free. Uh, We have three daughters. We generally try to avoid uh, gluten and dairy with them. Gluten, if it's organic, is like kind of okay, but otherwise, um, not really. Yeah. So I mean, and her because she's on a gluten dairy free healthy meat diet her her levels so uh you know you have to like watch this tsh level uh her her levels are are have been normalized and she's feeling much healthier much more energy um all of that so changing her diet eating a lot more high quality probably in every category of foods but certainly with her animal protein really made a big difference for her i don't know anybody who has changed their diet to eating cleaner and it hasn't made a difference whether it's weight loss right. which is like kind of the easy one more energy mm-hmm. better sleep there are so many benefits to cleaning up your diet and focusing on healthy nutritious food again it's the one thing we do multiple times per day and you can't exercise your way out of a poor diet right yeah there's just yeah it just doesn't work that way so i'm glad she's doing better yeah it sounds like your why for her has turned into this you know amazing business that i get to benefit from and my listeners get to benefit from and i love the emphasis on grass fed free range. And I live in Seattle, so I eat a lot of fish. And I'd love to hear more about your some of your fisheries that you work with in Alaska, which is mainly sockeye salmon. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, out of Alaska, we do uh, halibut, sockeye salmon, uh, sable fish, Ooh. which is black cod, <sighs> also known as butterfish, which is like the best. And it's also, according to Dr. Andrew Weil, it's at the very top of his anti-inflammatory diet as far as fish. Oh, yeah, sable fish is it's amazing. Oof, it's probably my it's probably my favorite. Yeah, I love I love that. Mine too. So I just went up to Alaska. We participated in the salmon run, oh, which fun. is a six to eight week period where all of the sockeye salmon for the entire year are caught. Oh. So the salmon essentially um, are born in a river. And then they swim up uh, slightly upstream the river to a lake where they live for the first two years. And then they swim down the river into the ocean where their system gets completely shocked because they go from fresh water to salt water. So they basically like are comatose for a week. Then they revive and they spend about two years eating shrimp. Then they swim back up the same river and almost to the same spot that they were born to spawn. You know, that's the salmon swimming upstream and over waterfalls and whatever. Um, 
and they spawn uh, and then die. They lay about 4,000 eggs, about 10, 10% of them survive. So the approach that people took to Alaskan salmon and Seattle salmon, for Pacific Northwest salmon, for many, many um, generations, was to overfish. Right? So it's like, let's just put a massive net across the river and catch every damn salmon. And then just have that net go directly to the cannery and make our you know, canned salmon and filleted salmon. That was the model. When Alaska really... It, it, it took until the late ni- 1900s for Alaska fish and game to be established and for people to really be thinking about long-term sustainability. So like, take what you can this year, but also make sure there's enough for next what year. What a concept. And the year after. What a concept. <laughs> what a concept. Wow. Like leave some for right. your children. And so, you know, the sockeye salmon run has been increasing on an annual basis meaning the number of fish going in is increasing. So we go and first of all, we spent time with like fish and game. So we actually, what they do is they go, they, they have a counting tower like seven miles up the river. So it's salmon that have swum seven miles up. And there's somebody who goes up there every hour and spends like two, two to three minutes counting how many salmon pass this pad. Like visually like, oh, there's one, there's two, there's three. And I, I went up there after two minutes, he's, uh, I was like, I saw eight. He's like, uh, I saw 23. <laughs> you are much better at this yeah. than I am. <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> so, and what happens is the counting tower makes an estimation of how many salmon per hour are flowing through. And once they feel like they have enough salmon flowing through, which is called escapement, they say, okay, now you can fish. And then there's all these fishing boats that are out there and they're all regulated. They're all the same, you know, same boat. It's a steel hauled boat, 28 feet long, um, three crew members, a net that goes a quarter of a mile. And they all fish in, in these spots and try to pull up uh, fish in these, in these nets. And so everything has been built around sustainability. Everything has been built around like, well, let's not take everything this year because that's not sustainable. And so it's this real model of sustainable fishing. One of the challenges that I have in this business is um, wild caught. You know, when you think about wild caught, most people are like, "Oh, I, I, I want wild caught. Like, I want, I want something that's not farmed because there's a whole bunch of problems with farm-raised seafood. Uh, I want it to be wild." Well, the problem with that is a lot of the a lot of companies' approach to wild catching for your benefit is to just destroy the ocean which is happening more and more. Yeah, they just yank out everything. Um, And so wild caught is actually not enough. What you want is wild caught plus some sort of sustainable certification so that you know that there's like a limit to what they're catching or they're letting some through and then catching the rest or they're really thinking about the long-term sustainability of the fisheries. Without that, what's what's happening is you know companies are just going to try to rip out as much salmon as possible and make as much money this year and not worry about the the long term effects. Wow, really short term thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're just thinking that's, about right now. That's and capitalism for you. It, yeah, it is. It's bad capitalism for you. That's yeah. right. That is so interesting. Okay, so when we're when we're looking at labels and we see wild caught, which is what I'm looking for, is there is there normally on a label that says, you know, wild caught and sustainably fished? 
I mean, first of all, I would just suggest you go to butcherbox.com because we obsess about these things. So, um, but absent that, um, yeah. So, so something like the Marine Stewardship Council will have some sort of sustainability rating, and then you can like go and learn more about it. Um, but yes, yeah, wild caught without sustainable. And also keep in mind, they can just put on the package sustainably harvested. That doesn't actually mean anything. Like you need to actually do your research and figure out like where is this product coming from. And you know it, it, w- what we think one of the things that our brand stands for is we obsess about like the details. Like we're on the ground. I'm on the ground at the plants, at the farms, like on the fishing boat, like catching fish myself and and like, oh, okay, this is I get this. And we do that as a promise to the customer that we are obsessed about delivering them the best possible product. Um, and so we want a brand that stands for that. What we want is when you see ButcherBox, um, you're like, yeah, I know that they went to the you know the highest degree possible to get the best possible product for me. Right, and I think you know we're all super busy, and I ask my listeners to do a lot of reading when they go to the supermarket or the farmers market or wherever they're shopping, and. If I know that ButcherBox has such a high standard, then I can just check that box because I know you've already done it. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And when I found out that, you know, you know your farmers and you know your the people who are fishing, that just made me so happy and relaxed because I'll admit I fall for marketing. And you know, the marketing's on the front of the package and the truth is is usually hopefully on the back. And when I see sustainably harvest, I like to just assume maybe that's my little halo, my little bubble I live in. I just want to believe that that's doing better things for the planet. And if it's doing better things for the planet, it's going to be doing better things for my body. Unfortunately, the approach of some in the meat space is like, oh, people care about uh, pasture raised. People care about grass fed. People care about sustainably harvested. Let's just put that on the label, or let's like let's put something that that appears to be sustainably harvested, and not make the claim, but make the claim, and put a green leaf on it. And this is this is what we call greenwashing. And there's been a tremendous amount of greenwashing of the meat case, where it's really confusing. And the average American spends it's something like 13 seconds in front of the meat case before making a buying decision. So they're not spending any time actually able to read labels or. Or what have you. So, oh, that is really at 13 seconds at the meat case. Huh. Okay. And greenwashing. I know that, you know, we're about to enter uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month for October, and there's a lot of pinkwashing that goes on where you just put a pink ribbon on that. People think, wow, I am, I am donating toward breast cancer research. No, no, it's just a pink ribbon. <laughs> it, me- it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> So it sounds like in the meat industry, same thing with the with the greenwashing. Yeah, for sure. There's, um, you know, people are just doing what they think the customer is looking for, but not actually, you know, it's this short term thinking mindset. It's like it's a lot harder to actually try to build a system that is going to make demonstrable change. And there are very few companies out there that like are looking yeah. to do that. Are you? Are you surprised by how much people care about where their animal protein comes from? Not really, because I do. I mean, what we see is there's like there's an awakening that happens, and that could be a heart attack. It could be you were following elimination diet or a whole thirty diet. It could be you got cancer. It could be 
your spouse got cancer. It's some sort of awakening. So when I talked earlier about my wife and thyroid condition, elimination diet, we all of a sudden were like, grass-fed beef, what's that? And then between Michael Pollan, uh, the book Omnivore's Dilemma, and a whole bunch of you know articles and stuff online, we're like, holy cow, like how... First of all, how do we not know about this? And secondly, why would we ever eat any other way? And at that moment, that awakening moment, that's when like we come in, right? And it's like, hey, you're probably really confused. Like, there's a lot of stuff to learn. All of a sudden, um, we can help. You know, if you buy from us, like we've we've gone through the trade offs. And so n- now, I, I'm not I'm not surprised because the, the the meat system in this country is really broken. And I think people are voting with their with their stomachs, and they're they're saying like, "Well, I want something different." And the more people that make the decision to eat sustainably harvested seafood and grass fed beef and animals that were raised better, more conscientiously, the more people that make that decision, you know, the the bigger that piece of the industry gets. The actually the cheaper it gets, the more efficient it gets, and the 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 more we can change the meat system in this country. You know, let's talk about change and let's talk about dollars. I mentioned I grew up on a farm and so I'm used to eating a lot of animal protein, but I was always used to eating super high quality animal protein. And I believe that when it's super high quality like that, you just end up naturally eating a little bit less. You don't need a Mm -hmm. one pound Mm -hmm. ribeye on your plate. Not that that's not fun every now and then, (laughs) but... You know, I'm also a big believer in plant-based. I'm a, I'm, I guess I'm an enigma because I love plant-based, but I love super high quality animal protein. And could we ever end up moving to a model where we just have really high quality animal protein? We eat a little bit less, and we have a ton of vegetables and com- and, and a little bit of complex carbs. If if I were a if I were a braver marketer. I would launch a campaign that's something like eat less meat, but make mm-hmm. sure it's good. Uh, and, and that is actually my message. You yeah, know, that is my I, that, message. That is yeah. the message, I think. Is, it, is, it is the message. It's good for you, good for the planet, good for the animal. And yeah, so it's almost um, like high quality animal protein could be a little bit of a side dish. Yeah, and and I think that is um, a lot of the... So, so when we started in 2015, um, we... We kind of rode the wave of paleo and whole thirty and clean eating, and a lot of those people have moved into a, I think as Mark Hyman calls it, the pegan diet, which is a lot more vegetables and meat as a side dish. Like meat doesn't have to be the only thing you're eating; it really can be uh, an, an accompaniment. You do need to eat a lot of meat for protein, for uh, essential amino acids, but it certainly yeah, you know, hardly anyone eats a one pound ribeye anymore. Even even at the steakhouses, like that, people aren't really ordering that like they used to. So, Mike, just final question. You know, you got three kids. You're running a business. You said that was much bigger than you ever expected it to be. What do you do every day to stay healthy, mentally and physically? All right, I do a lot. So. Well, I'm currently doing a 75 hard, which is a 75-day stretch of no alcohol, uh, following a strict diet, working out twice a day, drinking a gallon of water. So I'm, I'm, I'm almost constantly doing some sort of thing like that where I'm like really dialed in in terms of what I'm doing. I, I appreciate a life of, of, of uh, discipline. 
So that's kind of physically, I, I, I like to do, although this is now pretty stereotypical, but I do like to do like cold plunges. Those are pretty awesome. There's nothing like it's nothing clears the mind more than sitting in freezing cold water. There's, <laughs> I just like, there's like, oh, chatter, chatter, chatter. So like true. all these things that went wrong and you it's sit so and it's true. just like, vroom, you're just like, oh my God, I'm going to die if I stay in here. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I gotta breathe, so I do that. Um, <laughs> and I gotta I, breathe. Um, I'm part of uh, several. Um, well, one in particular. I'm part of a group called YPO, which is like a forum for other, uh, yeah, young presidents organizations. A forum for other oh, yeah. people who young like run companies, or, mm-hmm. and uh, really good to be mm-hmm. able to share the life's experiences. One of the things they talk about is like if life's experiences are on a bell curve of really great and really bad. Oftentimes, the tales, like the best stuff and the worst stuff, you don't talk about with anybody, including like your spouse, your family. Like, there are things that you can't reveal to anybody. And that group uh, is is basically like that's what they're looking for you to talk about. It's like just that stuff. Um, No one cares about like the normal stuff. It's like get rid of the stuff that's within you. Uh, I'm a big believer in um, uh, guided journeys. Uh, medicated journeys. Um, I think that, you know, in terms of helping heal past traumas or past uh, whatever, uh, that's been, at least for me and for others I've seen, has been really helpful. And then, yeah, uh, diet-wise, I'm definitely very meat-forward. Part of that is I get my meat for free. So yeah, uh, (laughs) it really does help. (laughs) And you've got a wide variety to choose from. That's right. And I always have to sample something. It's like, oh, you got to try this. Like, right. It's like, oh, shoot, I have to try that. Rats. Um, uh, Yeah, plenty of water. Uh, I try to eat limited carbs, um, protein. Uh, and then finally, I um, I try to do some sort of mindfulness thing every day. Uh, what I am currently focused on is trying to surrender to my heart. Uh, so less mind, more heart. So just like trying to figure out what my heart is trying to tell me versus um, you know staying up, staying up here in my mind. It's good. That sounds like it's uh, a place of freedom. It, it is. Yes. If only we could listen to our hearts instead of. Uh, <laughs> If only. I think the world would be a a much different place if we could just get out of our head and, uh, yeah, stay heart-focused. Yeah. So, uh, yes, the world would be a much better place, but I'll start with myself. I'll start in my own backyard and try to make myself a better place. That's what I say to myself often. I can only control my own yard. But when people look in my yard, they say, wow, that's an inspiration. Yeah. Well, Mike... Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for coming on Why Did I Get Cancer? I, I've already been such a huge fan of Butcher Box for so long. And now I just, I feel like uh, I'm armed with even more information about just how, how hard you guys try and how diligent you are to make, you know, meat better for us to consume. But again, as a former farmer, you care about the farmer and you care about them making a living. And that's really important to me. Well, this is a pleasure. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Good. Well, thanks for coming on the show. 
I think you all know how much I love ButcherBox. Probably the biggest driver for me is the quality. And I love that ButcherBox focuses on small family fisheries so they know who's fishing the for the sockeye salmon. And they also focus on small family ranches where, again, they visit these ranches and they, they know that these animals are being treated humanely. And that is probably my biggest driver. I also had many of you reach out to me and tell me, hey, I want to try ButcherBox, but I don't want to commit to a full year. So I have great news for you. You can go ahead and use my code and sign up for as long as you want. Of course, right now we're doing the free bison in every box and you still get the free bison in every box and $20 off of your first box. So all you have to do is go to butcherbox.com forward slash Enos and then use the code Enos and then you're going to get $20 off of your first order and then free bison in every box for up to a year. This is a great opportunity to just try out ButcherBox without having to commit to 12 months. I have to tell you, I get so excited when I get that delivery box at my front door because I know it's going to be incredibly high quality protein that honestly, I can't get in any supermarkets near my home. So give ButcherBox a try. I think you'll love them. Thank you for joining me today on the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I've got my shopping guide for all of my cancer self-care items in the show notes, along with information about today's guest and our show sponsors. And don't forget to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. Keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a gal that got diagnosed with cancer and wanted answers. If you need medical advice, please be sure to consult with a medical professional. And thank you for listening. 